to Cinema Adventure, a movie podcast where every week we talk about a film, some old, some new. I'm your favorite host, Aiden Walker. And I'm like your actual favorite host. Today, we're talking about Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, written, directed, edited, produced, and distributed by Russ Meyer. He personally walked to every movie theater that showed it and handed them a reel and said, this is me distributing this to you. He's such a legend. I love Russ. (laughs) What a man. All right, so Aiden, I love this movie. This movie's pretty wild. One of the, I would say, like, top five exploitation movies. One of my favorites, I'd say. But this was your first time watching it. What was that like How many times have you seen this? I've seen it, I think, three other times. Wow. Big fan. But usually Uh, in, like, pretty big stretches. Like, I have to kind of, like, remind myself, like, why do I like this? And then I have to, you know, see why. I think it's usually almost following, like, after watching, like, Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof or something, I'll kind of remember, like, oh, this movie's really good, so then I watch it again, basically. So That makes sense. What was it like for you? It was a journey. (laughs) Truly. Certainly. I watched it with a friend. I didn't watch it alone. So we were kind of looking at each other and raising our eyebrows for most of it, going, what the heck is going on? (laughs) It was different than I expected. Less violent than I expected, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Do you want to do, do the rundown on the plot summary? Sure. So this movie is about three go-go dancers named Varla, Billy, and Rosie. I actually remember. Amazing. Pretty much we witnessed them, or first introduced to them, doing their little go-go routine together. And then we see them driving these muscle cars all around the Mojave Desert at high speeds. And then they run into, after they do their whole driving thing, really for no reason, they run into this teenage girl named, what is her name, Linda? Yes. Linda and her boyfriend, Tommy. And, like, they get in, like, a big argument. One of the go-go dancers gets in this big argument with Tommy. They have a drag race. He loses, and then Varla kills him. So then after that, they take Linda hostage. They, like, go to get gas or something, and then they hear that in a nearby house... Uh, There's a family who lives there that might have thousands of dollars hidden. So they go to the house and attempt to weasel their way into this family and try to steal the money all the while. And the family is three men. Three men. It's three men. It's the father who's wheelchair bound Mm -hmm. and his two sons, one of which is just kind of a normal guy. And the other one who is just this ripped behemoth Hulk-like monster who they call the vegetable. Yes. The because movie's not very sensitive to the not vegetable. Not sensitive. I feel like this movie, you wouldn't really expect it to be super sensitive no. anyway. So I feel like even though that's kind of problematic, it flies here because you can't really expect things to be unproblematic in a 1965 exploitation movie. Certainly not. We should also probably mention kind of the aesthetic of the film. It's black and white. It's very low budget. It's, it's super low 40, budget. They shot it for $45,000. It's very low budget. shot completely on location in the Mojave Desert, which is... I feel like that would be very miserable, except no one really looks miserable, so, you know, kudos to them for not, you know, looking Except like for Varla, who just looks angry. Well, Varla, that's just her whole aesthetic. It's just angry and ready to fight all the time. Ready to fight. Which is my aesthetic as well, so we really <laughs> match in that yeah, you, way. You're really intimidating today, I'm especially. Intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the three, the three protagonists, the go-go dancers, are dressed as such throughout the film. They're in the desert, and they're all wearing these crop-topped, very exposing outfits. Yeah, they all have their kind of their own thing. So like Billy, who's the blonde, is wearing like short shorts and kind of a crop top. And then Rosie has more like a tank top, some pants. And then Varla has almost like a jumpsuit, I guess, with a very low cleavage. It's like a it's like a V neck that goes all the way down yeah. to your belly button. It's interesting. You know? I don't feel like that would be super comfortable, but 
Varla, she pulls it off really well. She I does. should mention, yeah, Varla's played by Tara Satana, and then Rosie's played by Haji, which is one word. And then... What's the name Billy, of... Sorry, what? go ahead. And then Billy's played by Lori Williams. And they were... All three of them were strippers at the time, so they were kind of cast pretty accurately. <laughs> What's the name of the woman on Parks and Rec? Uh, she has the one name. Oh, I don't know if it's one name, though. It I, is. I, I, it's totally one Brandy name. Brandy Max? No. <laughs> Who is it? She plays, is it Donna? Oh, Donna, yeah, yeah. But what's the name of the actress? Retta. Retta. Just yeah. Retta. It's like mm-hmm. that, but Haji. Yeah, or like Madonna Prince. I feel like that was oh, yeah. a very, you picked a very esoteric reference I there. really did. Let's pick Retta instead of <laughs> someone else. Yeah. Hey, respect to Retta, though. Yeah, the truly. The one name game, it's, it's a good game. Yeah. No, this movie is interesting because Russ Meyer is, he's kind of informally known nowadays as kind of king of the, there's a genre in the early 60s called nudie cuties, which were basically just kind of softcore movies, but had a very playful aesthetic and were usually kind of just sex comedies. He was kind of the father of that genre. And so this was, I believe, one of his first movies and before he had done more straightforward comedy. So this was one of his first more out there movies, I would say. He really hit his peak in 1969 with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which was a satire of The Valley of the Dolls, which is not a good movie, and I prefer the Russ Meyer parody, but that was co-written by Roger Ebert, and his movies are very sexual, but they are done so in a way that's almost empowering in a way everyone feels very in control This is not This doing. is the only Russ Meyer movie I've seen, and this one was sexual but not explicit yeah not explicit and sex is seen as more of a fun thing it's not i think in a lot of other exploitation movies it is a little dirtier and you feel like it's more city whereas it's more celebrated here so that's nice but he does a good job of i think he is a very he's obviously good at pandering to you know like sex violence speed like all these hedonistic sorts of things but he also is a very i think he's a very funny writer i think his dialogue is very i feel like every time a character says something i picture like a comic book and it's like a speech bubble. Like, everything is very stylized, and it works really well. All the one-liners are great. It's so perfect that you mentioned Roger Ebert a second ago because there's a quote from him in his review of this film. His description of the dialogue is that it seems phoned in from another universe. Ooh, I love that. It's it does so feel true. like that. I think it's pulled off so well. Like, I think Meyer, he has this very cheesy dialogue in a way, but it fits so well with everything else that he does. He does... Even with this very tiny budget, you feel very transported into this world of sex and violence. And so it all matches up very well. It is funny that I didn't read Ebert's review of it, but it is interesting that he would write a movie review because he was very, very, very close friends with Russ Meyer in real life. He states that at the beginning of the review. He says, oh, okay. he says, you know, it, it, I, it's not super appropriate for me to be writing this because we are so connected, but it's been... He, it's something like 20, 20 something years since he had last seen the movie, and he said it was something about a re release, and he said, I think I need to talk about it. Yeah. So, no, it, it. it is such an interesting friendship to me because Ebert is this very respected writer, obviously, one of the big, probably the biggest movie critic ever. And then Russ Meyer is this sleazeball character, and it is odd that they had this close relationship because you wouldn't necessarily expect that. But yeah, Ebert did write Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, or maybe co wrote it, but he was very involved with that. And when you watch it, it is surprising that he did do that because he is such this intellectual, very straightforward kind of guy. So, yeah, this movie does to have, I think, one of my favorite opening credit sequences. Before the credits even start, it's just like a black screen. Oh, yeah. And you see almost just like sound waves or something, I guess. And there's this announce. I wish we could almost play the opening on the show. 
but there's this big narration and the first line is like this is violence and then it goes into this big monologue about sex and violence it's supposed to be Russ Meyer I guess I think it's someone else pretending to be him but this big monologue that's so over the top and dramatic it almost reminds me of those little monologues in Plan 9 from Outer Space where they're kind of setting the tone it's a lot like that where it's this very odd thing but it's really evocative right from the start yeah and the voice that the narrator is doing is really intense and it almost sounds like a 1920s kind of announcer at a circus or something you know what I mean it's like sex and violence and you better prepare yourself because these girls are driving fast and (laughs) it's really they're very fast yeah it's danger fighting (laughs) violent it's like that and it just that voice is it's funny because it's only present there and it's not present throughout the rest of the film at all. It's just, it sets the tone so wonderfully for what you're about to watch is just so bizarre and not really like anything else. It's a good way to set the tone for what the dialogue is going to be oh, like. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, and it's funny because that, that kind of ends and then it goes right into, you see these the three go-go dancers dancing and Meyer shoots it. He almost has the camera on the floor looking up at them and they're all... They're almost doing like Charlie Brown dances. They all have this one dance that they're doing, and they'll. He kind of goes from each person focusing on their dance. And Teresa Tan is doing. I don't even know how she does it. It's like she's doing the limbo, but moving up and down. I don't know how she's capable of that and not falling to the ground, but whatever. <laughs> and the whole scene is pitch black aside from the go-go dancers. They have spotlights on them, and then you just see audience members just going like, "Go, baby, go!" And those were also fun fact. Real. That was like actually filmed at a strip club, and they were just doing their routines, and those were like real patrons there. Wow. Um, But yeah, so you kind of meet them right away, and then the movie cuts from that right to them just driving in the desert. It's so you have these three very weird transitions, and I think at first you kind of think this is going to be a bad quality movie because each thing is so abrupt, but then after a while I think it meshes together. But that intro is very, it's it's a lot to take in in just like five minutes. It jumps around. Really jumps around. Very abrupt. And there's not really necessarily a reason why the go-go dancers are riding around in muscle cars in the desert they just kind of are i don't know if it's just like a fun pastime i kind of assumed they were going on like a road trip or something did you catch that at all no they're just very random they're just they're just one second they're dancing the second next second they're in the desert yeah and then like billy gets out of the car one point and like jumps fully clothed into like a pond like yeah, into, into like a lake, and then she gets out and gets into some argument with Varla. The movie is peppered throughout <laughs> with arguments between the three girls. They're yelling at each other, and Varla's solution to everything is just to slap the other girls. <laughs> so, yeah, Varla and Billy get into an argument, and they end up wrestling in the sand, and they're both soaking wet because they've been swimming, and they get, like, caked in all this <laughs> sand, and it's just ridiculous. And it's funny because it doesn't feel... I mean, you can tell Maya was probably intended it to be kind of sexual, but it's really not. It's a pretty aggressive fight. There's some hair pulling. I think beforehand he told them not to rehearse or anything. He said, don't hurt each other, but just try to make this as realistic as you possibly could. So very interesting. Which is hilarious because there is nothing realistic about this Nothing realistic. Nothing realistic. There's uh, During the climax when everything's popping off and all the girls are trying to get the money from this lecherous old man in the house in the middle of the desert. Varla tries to run over the old man's ripped son. What was his name? Oh, the vegetable. How could I forget? Um, 
tries to run him over and pins him up against a wall with the car, but he's just so strong and so ripped that he's holding back this car that she's flooring the gas on for so long It's so before it finally kind of crunches him a little bit. But then he gets up and away. There's a whole nother thing, and then she finally runs him over again. It's, it's so, whole that whole scene is so long, and it kind of made me laugh because, like, she cannot run this guy over. And she's just, it's like, just pick another way. It's not going to work. But the way, yeah, the way she kills other people is, kind of funny like even when there's one point where billy tries to take off and she does it so calmly she's just kind of like i'm done with this and just struts off doesn't even run and then varla asks rosie to give her her knife and she just throws it right into the back of billy like it's this very she does all these really funny that was the most tarantino moment for me oh that was fantastic in this movie because, yeah, they're all supposed to be friends. And then suddenly Varla's just like, I'm cold. I'm ice cold. I don't care. You're leaving. You're walking out. Just pulls out a switchblade and just, whoosh, just yeah. throws it right into Billy's back. And Billy I... just collapses. And there's that. <laughs> we should talk about the soundtrack. There's like a really great musical sting when that happens, right? She gets the knife in the back and all the horns kind of go. Yeah, the, right? the soundtrack is so good. It almost sounds like a. I kept being reminded of almost like an 80s cartoon, like a theme song. Like it's so... It's like a jazzy big band kind of style. Big, I can't even describe it. It's such a... It's a really fantastic soundtrack, but it really matches the pulp atmosphere. And I, do, it, I couldn't... Some Spanish horn. Some Spanish horn. I couldn't tell too if it was... I'd like to know if it were like pre-composed because I know a lot of exploitation movies didn't have a lot of money, so they would just see like what was available. So I am curious if it was made i wouldn't imagine it would be made just for the movie but i am curious what it derives from exactly because it is very distinct i really in general too just love sir teresa tana's performance in this i I mean she wasn't really in anything else she was in this and then a couple ted v michaels movies which he's like known as one of the worst directors ever but I mean, still fun movies. But I mean, this is such a it's one of it's one of those performances where you almost don't need another performance like this is the performance of this actress because she is well like six feet tall and has huge breasts, has this Betty Page black hair, so she has this very distinct look and she's also oh, we're talking about Varla right now, right? Yeah, she's also Japanese American, so she American has as well. she has you know a different look than you would expect for a protagonist at that time. Yeah, not usual. At she's all. also got this really intense makeup and the the eyebrows yeah. are. Um, it's like if you put a V upside down and just kind of <laughs> stepped on it a little bit, the letter V. But yes, very intense. So she always looks like she's scowling even when she isn't. Yeah, and the lines. I mean, she has such aggressive dialogue, and she just shouts everything and commands it. And you have to you have to think about 1965, and I mean, there was nothing like that at the time. She was really one of the first major action heroines, and she does such a great job in this movie. And I love watching interviews with her later on because she is so proud of her work and... I mean, just that whole lifestyle of that and stripping and just having this B-movie career really meant a lot to her. And she's still, the way she talks about it, there's such joy in her eyes. And I love that it meant so much to her. She actually owns her likeness. So, like, anytime like Meyer would make money from this movie, she would also have to get more money because she owned her face and body, basically. It's awesome. Which is interesting. Yeah, but so amazing. It's interesting reading reviews of the film now because when you go into the movie not knowing anything about it, you kind of go, wow, this is just really 
kind of schlocky, trashy, <laughs> exploitative. You know, it seems pretty misogynistic. But yeah. then you read all these reviews of it, and there's all these feminist film critics who are praising the film. And there was one one review with this woman who was writing about it. She said she'd seen it when it came out, but then she watched it again 20 years later. And she, she hated it the first time, but then she watched it again, and she had this kind of new take on it, this new light. So since we've been talking about Roger Ebert, I wanted to read actually a section of his review because oh, he does good. have a pretty great, just a pretty poignant and funny way of describing this film. He says, take away all the jokes, the elaborate camera angles, the violence, the action and sex, and what remains is the quintessential Russ Meyer image. A towering woman with enormous breasts who dominates all the men around her, demands sexual satisfaction, and casts off men in the same way that in mainstream sexual fantasies, men cast aside women. And he finishes the review with saying, this movie feels so absurd and weird until you think at the very end, I've seen Arnold Schwarzenegger and other action stars do the exact same things that yeah. these women are doing. No, this movie is so, I think it is very feminist because you have these women who are so unashamed of their sexuality and they're unafraid to use men and they're unafraid of their own pleasure. And I think maybe if it were filmed later on, like 80s, 90s, it might not be so revolutionary because you had a lot more feminist action heroes, like the ones that Pam Greer or Bridget Nielsen, is that her name? Like, they perfected later on. And so to to have this in 1965 when there was still these very set gender roles in society, it is so revolutionary to have these sorts of characters because there wasn't that kind of representation at all. And I think, And a lot of movies, too, at the time when they did have kind of the bad girl role, they would usually... I mean, I guess they are in a way punished in this movie, but it is by the end. Kind of there's this idea of like, this woman's bad, please don't be like her. Like, this is not a good thing. Whereas this movie, it really sees the strength in these women and really praises it, which is really a great touch. This movie doesn't try to have a really powerful message. It doesn't try to shove anything down your throat. Uh-huh. It just is what it is. Yeah. And it, it stands alone by itself. And I think that's why it's impactful and yeah. why it works. It just showcases these women. And so it is, Russ Meyer... Is such an interesting exploitation director to me because I feel like even though he does a lot of the same things that a lot of other exploitation directors do, he he exploits these women, but he also seems to empower them. He builds these strong characters and doesn't... I mean, sex is a divining aspect, but he isn't only concerned with, like, oh, they're going to show their boobs to everyone. Like, he also... Which they don't do in this film. They don't... Yeah, there's no nudity, there's no gore there's no profanity at all but yeah he does it all in a way that feels very like they're in control like he's just showcasing what they want to do and especially with like Tara Satana there's no way you ever would feel like she's exploited like she is the one calling the shots and you know that oh let's talk about exploitation film what does that mean is there like a direct I'm sure there's a direct definition I could give you I could give you one yeah Yeah. so an exploitation film is a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting common trends niche genres or I've seen it referred to as lurid content, mm. but I think we, we could say sex and violence or gore. And a lot of movies fall under this, and it seems like exploitation film from the 60s and 70s is really what kind of propelled a lot of the things that we see in movies now. Just the acceptance that, you know, there's going to be a lot of R-rated movies or PG-13 movies that are going to have sex and violence, and that's kind of become the norm. But, you know, at the time when these kind of films were becoming big hit, sleeper hits, depending <laughs> on what yeah. movie you're talking about, uh, they're influential because there wasn't anything else like them going on. They're so influential. And a lot of them were B-movies, so like this. Cheaply made, there to be fun, not really a really deep message in a lot of them. But Yeah, most of them are really bad, but I mean, they're, once in a while you get this very creative director that 
goes beyond because most of the time yeah they are just trying to cash in on trends and are really trying to do something new but once in a while you get something smart and I think Russ Meyer most of his movies were really smart so they always kind of went against the grain of other exploitation movies but yeah they were so influential in the way they cashed in on these trends exaggerated them a lot and weren't ashamed of doing that I think the 60s and 70s that was such a great period for exploitation movies they had back in the day these things called grindhouse theaters that specifically would play those on like double feature reels so i mean they were really i mean seen by most of the public for a lot of them they're really popular and could have mainstream appeal especially pam greer like her movies coffee and foxy brown those were both those are exploitation movies they fall under black exploitation which was just kind of the more african-american led version of that but those were mainstream hits basically i know i think she was on the cover of time even like she really became a big name so i mean there there was this ability to cross over and russ meyer with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls later on, that was his foray into more of a mainstream kind of thing. But it is interesting because you don't have these sort of niche genres anymore. Like, I can't think of something that's very like, oh, this is super 2010s, you know? Like, maybe, hmm. like, torture porn of, like, the 2000s, but... I guess you, you could you know. could definitely say that Saw is exploitation. Oh, for sure. Which I know you're a big fan of the Saw God, films. Freaking Saw. <laughs> I can't take it, man. I just... Uh, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned black exploitation just just because of all the different genres that then attach the <laughs> the word exploitation onto them. Yeah, <laughs> I was reading about just trying to get a general definition of exploitation so I could talk with some kind of knowledge about the subject at all, and I came across a website where this person was. I'm not sure how legit this was, but it uh-huh. just cracked me up because they were trying to categorize kind of new B movies into these different uh-huh. categories. So CGI exploitation would be like, right? I know, <laughs> I know, you're rolling your eyes, and I, I was too. It just cracked me up. <laughs> CGI exploitation was like low budget. You know, you might have Adobe After Effects, and you don't have money, much money to make a film, but you want to have like some really awesome monsters in it or something. So you just have these kind of two dimensional pixel. Thi- these are things that exist. I could on see, the internet, yeah. right? The one that that made me laugh the hardest was shark exploitation. Ooh, I love that. Which <laughs> don't you love shark exploitation? Shark exploitation, <laughs> which you know, I, Jaws. I think you could argue it was the first blockbuster movie, but it was an exploitation film, right? In yeah, the way totally. that yeah. violence these people are just getting chewed on by sharks. Anyway, the the images that they were using to describe shark exploitation were from these awful, awful Sharknado movies, which are, you know, <laughs> B-movies, but they're made to be bad, and they're self-aware in a way that is yeah, not a little... It's not as fun as these yeah. kind of older movies where they're self-aware, but in a way that's really exciting and positive, whereas these ones are almost too self-referential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shark exploitation. It's up and coming. There's or dying, hopefully. I've also heard there's even like a Nazi exploitation from the 70s, which is Ooh, so bizarre. Like um, there's uh, this... Surf Nazis Must Die. There's, that's sure, a movie. I haven't heard of that one. I was thinking of, there was one in the 70s, like a franchise called Elsa She-Wolf of the whatever. And there was like four movies and she was basically just like a like a prison warden or something and pretty much it's just her like i think like seducing jewish victims and like what on earth like murdering them like it's crazy yeah they're like exploitation movies the protagonist or anti-heroine is like a nazi like it's really weird but there's like that and the night porter which i think is more of an art house movie but they tried to make nazism into like a fetish which is really bizarre that it was pulled off but like even that like 70s were just a weird time in general it's a little much yeah it's a lot i don't know how they got away with that especially like the ilsa like there was like four movies and i don't understand how they were able to do that for that long but whatever like i think it's time for some fun facts oh is it time all right well 
so fun facts. One fun fact is Susan Bernard, who plays the kidnapping victim, she was 16 at the time of filming, and her mom was actually on the set. I read that she later on said that she was actually really scared of Tara Satana because she was very antagonistic behind the scenes and stuff. So a lot of the scenes where she's really freaked out was pretty genuine. Like, she actually did not like being manhandled by Tara Satana, which who would? That would be a little bit, a little frightening. I kept thinking of, like, there's one scene toward the end where she's trying to tell off Satana, and she doesn't even finish the, sen- the sentence, and I was wondering how much that was written, or she's like, she just couldn't continue on yelling at her, because I feel like I wouldn't be able to whatsoever. What else? Okay, so Russ Meyer, like, the title, if you think about it, is very bizarre. There's, like, no rhyme, no reason, apparently. But Meyer knew exactly what he was doing, and he didn't want to have this boring title, but he wanted to somehow represent what he was trying to do with the movie. And so he wanted to represent speed, which is faster, wanted to represent sex, so he did that with Pussycat, and then wanted to showcase violence, which is the kill kill. So he just wanted to have this really bizarre title showing, like, this is a movie of sex, violence, and speed, just like any good action movie should be. So classic Russ right there. Um, This is also John Waters' favorite movie. I think I read that he called it the best movie ever made, which is... You know, up for debate. I don't know. I doubt he's being that serious, but this is, it makes sense because John Waters' movies are pretty comparable. They're like le- less exploitation movie and more of these very transgressive black comedies that have like a similarly low budget, but a very distinct sense of humor. But yeah, that is interesting to me. And also, if you like this, you might like John Waters' movies from the 70s, which are a little bit much, but are still very entertaining and I love them so much. Do you have any fun facts? Or I do. I do have one fun fact. I don't have a lot. So. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I read this one. I like this one. Apparently, Satana dated Elvis. Oh yeah, I read that a while for ago. a period of time, and this is the most badass thing I think that she oh, could have possibly love it. did. Turned down a marriage proposal from Elvis. I would love to see that. That's great. I also can't picture her speaking in a because in the whole movie she's pretty much just yelling at everyone. Oh yeah. She talks in a very loud voice, so I. I weirdly can't picture her in real life just, like, speaking to Elvis in a calm way. Like, I just picture her yelling constantly. Maybe karate chopping him after he proposes marriage. Like, you never know. You never know. That would be an interesting duo, though. Elvis and Tara Satan, I would love that. Hey, Blake, thanks for those fun facts. They're very You're fun. welcome. There was not very many, and I said, like, two of them during the thing. So sorry. Hey, man. My apologies. Gotta do your best. I'm gonna, you know. Got any final thoughts? Oh, I should mention, too, that this, when it was released, was a financial and critical failure. It made back its money, but, like, it also didn't cost anything, so that was a bummer. But, yeah, it did not make any cultural mark, really, whatsoever. And it's interesting because now it is one of the touchstones of exploitation and is, I think, with this and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, considered to be Russ Myers' most iconic features. Definitely one of those classic, not appreciated at the time, but became well-regarded, so... All right. But yeah. What's I, your final thought? What's Aiden? my final thought? Yeah. I enjoy this movie. I don't think I have a desire like you to watch it three more times. What? I may watch it again someday if I'm if I go on a deep dive into exploitation and try to figure out just what the heck was going on during that time. I'll watch it again. But it, it's a pretty short movie, so you know, if yeah. you did want to rewatch it, it, wouldn't take you very long. But yeah, that's that's my final thought. It, yeah. It's good. It's good. I can see why it was influential, and I think I will have a newfound love for some of the movies that I really enjoy because now I've seen this. Yeah. No, I think 
the explanation genre is very interesting, but they're, I mean, most of it's trash. So if you're interested in the genre, this is definitely the best route to go because it is the most, it's the funniest, I think. It's pretty wild, but it's wild in a way that's entertaining, whereas a lot of them, it's like the director doesn't know what they're doing, whereas Russ Meyer definitely feels in control. So if you're wanting a better quality genre detour, this is definitely the way to go. Also, Russ Meyer in general, I think is very underappreciated as a filmmaker. So this is a really good example of his gifts as much more than just this king of softcore <laughs> sort of thing. But yeah, definitely watch this. Huge fan. Only an hour and 20. You can find it on YouTube. It's very easy to watch. Just try it out. Is it time for some recommendations? It's time for some recommendations. Great. What are your recommendations My today? recommendations are, we already mentioned it, but Death Proof. Quentin yeah. Tarantino's Death Proof. And it, you know, if you want to go for... Blake mentioned drive-in, double feature, grindhouse cinema earlier in the episode. And if you want to go for the full... Experience. Experience. <laughs> yes, thank you. For If you want to go for the full experience, you got to watch the other film that was made in conjunction with Death Proof, and that's Planet Terror, which is... So good. Great. It's just wild. So yeah, Planet Terror is a film all about... It's just a alien. zombie movie. It's just a zombie movie, but it's hyper-violent, extremely bloody... A woman, one of the main characters, loses her leg to some zombies and replaces it with a machine gun. So yeah, she has out. a machine gun leg. Shout out to Rose McGowan. Yeah. A great performance from her. Very good. And then Death Proof is Quentin Tarantino's film that was the other half of that double feature, which is about some women who encounter this serial killer who kills people in a very interesting way. I'm not going to give it away. <gasps> but there's a lot of fast driving, some really excellent stunts and you fall in love with the characters. It's very fun. It's a slow burn, but once it gets to the end, oh, it so just it good. takes off. I think Death Proof has the most hilarious ending of any movie I oh, think it's I've such ever a good seen. Ending. I rem- I laughed for I think a solid ten minutes. At the oh end wow, of the movie, Aiden, I was like, that. wow. I think I was just astonished. You know, I, I was laugh, laughing I was so like, hard it wow. cracked me up. Um, so yeah, Death Proof, and then the last movie I'm going to recommend. Well, I guess I have two more. I think you should see Kill Bill if you haven't seen it already, mm. because. A lot of the dialogue in Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, is definitely reflected in Kill Bill. The way that they all speak to each other is just, it's so evocative. Not, and not everything's a one-liner, but it could, it could almost be. So I think they're similar in that regard. Visually, not so much. Yeah. But, but yeah, def- definitely in the dialogue, watch Kill Bill. Yeah. And then my last recommendation is another Robert Rodriguez film which is uh, El Mariachi, the original, just the first one. It's really short. I think also an hour and 20 minutes or so. El Mariachi is a great film. It's, it was filmed in Mexico and I think parts of Texas. And it's about a man who goes into this town. He plays a guitar. He's a mariachi. He wants to make it big playing music. And uh, his guitar case gets swapped out with this assassin's. And the assassin carries around a bunch of guns and murder weapons in his guitar case. They get swapped. The mariachi is then framed as a murderer. He's chased all over town by a gang, and wacky violence ensues. Love El it. Mariachi is a great movie. You should watch that if you like some wild exploitation. Mm, gotta try violence. it. Have you not seen it? I haven't. I think you. I think you'd like it. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico, but that's like the last part in like the unofficial mm-hmm. El Mariachi trilogy. So I probably should have started there. But... Robert Rodriguez does some interesting stuff with the camera in El Mariachi. It, it's uh, a lot like Sam Raimi. The camera oh, okay. just kind of like flies around Ooh. and goes into some weird angles and is that. looking at people from spaces that you wouldn't think to look at people from. Yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun ride. Yeah. Definitely check that out. Yeah. Before I recommend, I do want to kind of backtrack to Kill Bill because I don't know if anyone... Have you seen the recent interview with Uma Thurman where 
she's on the red carpet and someone wants her to talk about like the Weinstein allegations and then she does this. She has like this, she's incredibly angry during this, but like is a very quiet sort of angry and she the whole gist of it is she says like, when I have something to say, I'll say it. And she says it in like the most collected, angry kind of way I've ever seen and I'm like obsessed with it and I can't stop watching it because wow. now I'm just like waiting for Uma's New York Times op-ed or whatever she's planning on doing. So, you know, powerful woman being powerful. Please watch that, like, I can, 30 I can second. Even, I can picture her character in Kill Bill, uh, Beatrix, it's, saying that. Yeah, I was thinking, like, Kill I'll Bill Volume 3. I'll say I have something to oh, say it. So I good. can picture it. So please watch it. I feel like you could literally just type in, like, Uma Thurman interview, and, like, that will be what pops up. Because, I mean, people on Twitter are obsessed with it. Like, it's so... <laughs> whew, just makes you feel powerful. Anyway, to more cinematic uh, recommendations, my first one is The Doll Squad, which is also feature. It also features Tura Satana and a smaller role, a lot less abrasive. Um, but that is a Ted V. Michaels. It's a Z movie, so like even smaller budget and faster pussycat, which is really something. Do you just have to have like a quarter and a hot dog to make a Z movie? I, that's the gist. This movie is so low budget. They couldn't even ex- like afford explosives. Like a house explodes in the movie and it literally, it's like someone just like did like a camera flash on like in front of the camera. Like it's so low budget. There's not even an explosion. This is an interesting one. I didn't know about it until recently, but it was one of the inspirations behind Charlie's Angels. It's basically oh. about this group of female spies who go to take down this corrupted government official basically and it's really really fun i don't know if it's as smart as russ meyer's movies but it still has a lot of the same tongue-in-cheek humor a lot of the same great female performances and that one is a little bit harder to find but if you can find it definitely watch that i was talking about pam greer earlier with foxy brown and coffee one of my favorite actresses as well but i thought i would pick something that is usually less talked about and that's the movie she made I think like a little bit after Foxy Brown called Friday Foster and she plays a photographer who uncovers a government conspiracy. And it doesn't as much match with Foxy Brown because that one's a little more sleazy, a little more nudity, whereas this one is, it's almost like Pam Greer's take on like one of the conspiracy thrillers of the 70s, like All the President's Men or something, which obviously on a smaller scale, more humor, but still really great. Has an amazing performance from her, so check that out. And then I've mentioned it thousands of times during this podcast, but please, please, please watch Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. That is like the epitome of Russ Meyer. That's, you really can't get any better than that. Co-written by Roger Ebert. It's just the best, truly. So check that out. I would even say do a double feature with that and Faster Pussycat. But yeah, that's it. Do you have anything else to say, Aiden? I think all I have to say is thank you all for listening very much. Yes. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Aiden Walkerow. And you can reach me at, at Blake W. Peterson. Next week, we're going to be talking about The Last Jedi. So definitely tune in for that. I can already tell you that I'm going to be super excited the entire time we're talking about it. And Blake's not going to be able to get a word in edgewise. Great. So thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time. Bye. See you later. drunk food is like in other places? 
My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.